All right. Let's, Let's get, get into, into it. it. Well, it's Friday. It is Friday. And uh, we're here for episode six. We're going to quit counting one of these times, I think. Well, I almost forgot. Yeah, I I'm, saw that. I'm going to give you guys till 10. Yeah. And then that's good. Uh, we made it to five solid. <laughs> so this one was questionable. After this, it's just it's a shot in the dark. Um, but anyways, uh, welcome to another episode of Warfighter uh, Tobacco Podcast. Uh, today, we actually have a guest on. We do. We do. Oh, we, God, we, found somebody, we found somebody that likes us enough to come record. <laughs> well, to be fair, he was already here. Yeah, he had no idea what he was getting into. We were like, hey, man, you yeah. want to sit in this weird seat over here at the end of the table and put these headphones on? Then we're going to ask you some questions. Yeah. And he's like, I got enough booze in me. I'll do it. <laughs> That's uh that's the the whole game plan. Get them drunk enough that they uh they say yes. So so, so Jazz. Yes. Uh what's your name? Where are you from? What do uh, you do? So I'm Jazz. Uh I am a uh a, proudly from San Antonio, Texas. Yeah. Um came from a military background, so I have kind of lived all over both internationally and nationally. Right. Um so you are a army brat. I am an army brat. Uh I'm also uh, army myself, a real prior army. When right. did you serve? I served from 07 to 13. Okay. Uh, so. And what'd you do? I was psychological operations the entire Ooh, time. I'm, I'm what the army refers to as a psyop baby. That's so. fun. It was, it was a, it was a, an interesting job. We definitely uh, so, weren't so, bored. So they so. taught you how to manipulate people. A little bit, Yeah. a little bit. Um, we preferred uh, our our full mission line. Yeah, was the truthful dissemination of information to bring a target audience in line with the American Initiative. That's very uh, political. That is that fancy <laughs> way. Yeah. Yeah, uh, which which is the fancy way of saying uh, say what needs to be said to get them to do what you want them to do. So manipulation. Yes, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's uh, to really break it down. Um, if you look at any of the major campaigns you've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, so uh, if I show you a logo with like handwritten script, red and white, the first thing you're going to think of is going to be something like Coca-Cola. There you go. Yeah. I, I was going Russia. It, no, that's if you're hungry. Um, <laughs> that's yellow. And red. So, and that's yellow and red, which if you look at the, the, the ad script, the ad structure of, yellow and red yeah uh it almost always has to do with hunger which is the hilarious thing about if you look oh, at McDonald's. the russian flag it's yellow and red <laughs> yeah so um but it, the red and white right you instantly went to oh red and white script that's yeah coca-cola so that is the idea of injecting a model into a community that just gets them to respond instantaneously right. to and then the ultimate goal with them is you can have off brands but if it's close to original Coca-Cola, it's just still just referred to as Coke. Right. And so that's kind of the mindset of if you put the right information into the market, you can end up just being the instant response for the solution. Right. And that was that was my job. That was to it was to change a mindset to get so behavior the way you wanted it. What year did you go to basic training? Oh seven. And what year did you deploy and where to? Uh ten. And then 11 as well. And I went to both theaters. So, so Iraq and Afghanistan. Yes. All right. And, uh, what, so what, like, uh, if I'm a little cagey on some of these, it's, I, I, 
I still have, I, so I had a secret clearance. So oh, there's yeah. some of my stuff is still on timeline stuff. So if I'm a little cagey on answers, I'm not trying to be a dick. It's so, just, there's some stuff that I know. <laughs> so I think the um, description you gave of what you did mm -hmm. might be kind of vague for people to understand exactly what sure. you did. So, so, um, some so the, give us the, 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 the non- security clearance daily elevator speech of okay, what so, you did when you deployed yeah well, when, when, when when you were there what let's you start with some did. of the campaigns that the the average person even if you were just watching your choice of news service what you probably so the purple thumb campaign that was running around um, when the first elections happened in iraq and they were showing everybody yeah, yeah. with the the, the ink thumbs <laughs> right so that was a psyop campaign yeah that was the idea of Look, we're not just here kicking indoors. We're 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 changing stuff. Yeah. We're so here that to was help you. that was a psyop campaign of the the purple thumb campaign because that was how we were doing IDs. Was right. it was ink blot, you stamped your thumb, and then we were getting pictures of everybody with the purple thumb. Right. So that was to inject into the population of here's the actual change that's happening. This isn't just a fight. This is actually to change things and to to increase the population involvement with what's going on with your government. That was a, that was a PSYOP campaign. Right. Um, the other stuff that happens, uh, you guys were, you're Baghdad boys. You, mm -hmm. you, you were there for part of that stuff. When the new newspapers and stuff started coming yeah. out that were, if you notice a lot of the stories that were in there, it wasn't about what was lost. It was always about what was gained. It's yeah. always about the positive changes and right. stuff that happened. All of those printings were all controlled by the PSYOP branch. Like that was all nice. like, so we did all like, of that. The radio station broadcasts that were going mm -hmm. out that had all those lovely posters that said like, you go beyond this yeah, and yeah. we will shoot you. Uh, all of those radio station controls. That was all me. Uh, well, not me, but that was, PSYOP. that was yeah. what PSYOP did. So what did you um, do specifically on your deployments? So our stuff was far more focused on. Um, so I was the precursor to what are known as missed teams. Um, Miss teams then transitioned over to UN assistance and working with ambassadors. Right. Um, my mission focus was on, we focused primarily on, uh, sorry, we said I'm walking the door and I got distracted. Oh. The squirrel. Uh, we focused on, um, local and centralized leadership. So, my, my mission objective was to go in and talk to localized and centralized leadership and get leadership change. So the model was known as third party credibility. So it was, don't listen to the American, but if I can get your local shake to tell you the same right. thing that I'm saying, yep. then we yeah. can. So that was, so we weren't looking at the whole, like, hopefully we'll get a couple. It was, I have to convert the one. Because then, if the one then goes and tells everybody that views him as important as, yeah, as yeah. his message is important. And so it's, my mission objective was to go in and talk to that local leader, get him to say what I needed him to say. Right. Because that third party credibility, somebody you already trust telling you, right. that, Hey, this is a good idea. Then that can change mission objective. It's, it's um, essentially the psyops adapted the train, the trainer. Mindset, yeah, it was, right? it was very much, it, it was, it was influence the influencer. The it was, yeah, a, yeah. it was a T3 model. Yeah. Um, we absolutely, you're, you're spot on. Um, we stole the T3 model and yep. it was like, I don't need to retrain everybody. If I can just retrain the subject matter expert. That's it. Yeah. I need and one get guy. The, if I can get the SME <laughs> to take my viewpoint. Um, now a lot of our mission, we also worked hand in hand with civil affairs guys. Mm -hmm. Um, so civil affairs and psychological operations are two sides of the same coin. Right. 
so we would do things like, um, do you guys remember seeing like the med ready missions and all the stuff that would go out and it was like, Hey, there's going to be a doctor or a veterinarian right. or yeah. whatever yeah. in this market at this time. So what we would do is we would go in and talk to the local leadership and then go like, Hey, if you give me this information, or if you agree to give me information yeah. for this timeline, I will bring you these assets that you need. Right to improve your community. So you help me and I help you. And so it was always a mutually beneficial model and that's what we were hunting down. Um, so I wasn't the focus on the leaflet drops right. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that yeah. wasn't my jam. Uh, what we did was far more of the hand, the one-on-one -on -one right. handoff kind of stuff. It transitioned to what's now known as a mist team. Um, the mist teams are now, these are psychological operations guys. These are full-time active duty army guys. Uh, but they get to wear the the suit and the whole nine yards and they go to um, embassies okay. and they work with ambassadors. Uh, nice. And so they'll do the whole, they'll go to meetings, they'll watch behavior, they'll come back, they'll do single target audience analysis and then break that psychological profile down and go, this is how you need to talk to that guy yeah. to get him to right. agree with you so that we can start injecting. That was, that was my mission parameter. So nice. what um, you did when you were in is drastically different than the psyops guys that were attached to our unit when I, we deployed no three. I was just about to ask. Uh, so our first, like when I, John and I were both infantry guys together. I didn't even know PSYOPs was a fucking thing until we saw them. Well, you got to keep in and, mind in 03, PSYOP was only six years old. And and our first experience we, with PSYOPs is the same because we were in the same platoon. Yeah. So we we jumped the berm. We did everything that we were going to do. And we took Airfield Anajov. And that next morning, these random trucks showed up with these big ass the fucking loud speakers the speaker on top. Oh, yeah. And they're like, Otherwise known as bullet magnets. These guys are attached to you now. And yeah. all of us grunts were like, who the fuck Why do we need a Humvee guys? with speakers? Yeah. And so <laughs> literally, like, that, we did our mission brief the whole nine, and we fucking marched out that gate. And as soon as we took a step out of that gate, and that fucking front tires of the Humvee cleared the fucking the gate, they turned those speakers on, and it was nothing but Arabic. And obviously, none of us spoke Arabic. So we're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Are these people attached to us just scream like loud? We're doing a mission. Shut the fuck up. But then, we, like, once we got to talk to these guys, we realized that they were helping us in our yeah. mission. And they were essentially like, hey, we're here. Um, if you want to fuck around and find out, we're here. But, but, you, but we don't want to harm innocents. But we're, we're coming into this area. So if you don't even mean harm, kindly fuck off. Yeah. Well, so, I, <laughs> I think more exactly of what it said was we don't. We don't want to cause harm to any innocent people. Go back in your houses. Yeah. You know, if you're, you know, if, if, you know, if you're not a threat to us, we won't treat you like one, yada, yada. And, uh, but there was probably also the byline of there's an assumption of threat. If we're here yeah. and you're on the street, we assume absolutely that yeah. you, you're, you're here to fuck around and find out. But and so there's an assumption of threat message that's always, yeah. always included. So. The, the silver lining of the PSYOP detachment that was was with us was it might have been i don't know 45 minutes into the patrol yeah and so we our, get into a firefight our very first impressions were like what the fuck are these guys doing like and, this is dumb and 45 minutes later the bullets start flying yeah and hats off to i guarantee you is some e4 they kicked the god that, box on that kicked the god box on Man, or kicked, no, uh, he kicked it off he hooked up his own MP3 player because that's what we had back in those days. That's a God box. And he kicked it back on 
and it was drowning pool. Let the bodies hit the floor. Yeah, so, so we were, John and I are balls deep in a fire. We might have been the first unit that psyops played that during <laughs> we, a fire. We, we were it balls was a popular deep, request. Balls deep. Yeah. In we didn't request it. No, this dude didn't. was like, "Oh, it's my time to shine." And he threw my cigar. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, it was fun. We were, we were yeah. balls deep in a firefight, and on the fucking speaker system comes let the bodies hit the floor. The bad guys and us simultaneously stop shooting. Yeah, but who recovered quicker? Oh, we did once we realized what yes. song it was. But it was it was a solid five second pause, which felt like fucking forever. Yeah, it was like a ten minute fucking yeah. ceasefire. Five seconds, nobody shooting, everybody's head peeks up, like what the hell am I listening to? And then we're like, oh fuck yeah, yeah. And then it erupted into goddamn gunfire. So this isn't restricted information, awesome. and I'll let you know, guys know what happened. So in in a psyop truck, we have that huge speaker box that's on top. Yeah. So efficacy range on that. Uh, in an urban environment is one mile. Okay. So you can hear that speaker. Yeah. Back it was for a, loud as shit. For a mile. Oh, it's Jesus. loud as shit. Yeah. Um, it's also, we also referred to it as the bullet magnet. They figured out very quickly the kind of stuff that we were projecting out of it. So they would just start shooting at it. Oh, I would have too. Uh, like, Shut yeah. the fuck up. Yeah. I'm trying to sleep. God damn it. Um, <laughs> but the efficacy mile in an urban environment is a mile mm. on that speaker pack. Uh, we can get into all the other bullshit about open land over water all that where yeah. it changes but it, it doesn't matter we, it was we almost always it, an urban environment urban so I it can, doesn't matter can verify you could hear it a mile away yeah <laughs> it's it's a mile it's it, it's yeah. a it's a good speaker uh in a psyop humvee that has that speaker track which by the way eats our turret so yeah, it's yeah a whole you, turret. you have no defense yeah there's no we don't like we don't get to put a 240 mm. or an m2 or anything on top of the truck like it's it's a speaker pack and that's it and it still pivots on the oh, turret yeah. system, it yep. just uh, now you can also use that for uh, close range of do like you can point that at something and then there's sounds that you can put yeah. through it that will literally just. Oh, yeah. You just don't want to function anymore. So loud. Um, but that's wired down to this thing that we refer to as the God box. So in that God box is just about any type of connector that you could possibly imagine. There isn't anything that we couldn't plug into it. Right. To make that noise. And one of them is just a two and a half millimeter fucking headphone jack. Yeah, damn right. And so you are correct. In that time period, we all just had, it was iPods or just yeah, whatever bullshit it. MP3 player had. No streaming. And you can yeah. plug it in. Now, I will tell you, that was the only time the Army has ever issued me an Apple product. Because they issued us iPods. <laughs> nice. And Because uh, they load, fucking worked. But we could load whatever we wanted on it. And it's a solid state device. And we could have whatever we wanted. And we had... They need to keep in mind this the psyop community is as weird as we are, and everybody wants to do the whole like you're the guys that steer at goats and you're the guys that yes, that's us. We're the fucking weirdos. We we understand. We guys didn't stare at goats until that movie came oh, out. Right. <laughs> and so thanks, George Clooney. Um <laughs> it's a good movie. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, we still did basic. We still carried rifles, we still wore the uniform. There there's still a there, there's still an E4 mafia. Like yeah. all of that still exists yeah. in the PSYOP community. We knew what made the mission drive forward. And so we had essentially like a best of yeah. list on well, all of our iPods. When your job and and I kind of feel bad for saying it like this, but it kind of our is job is combat it's, it's combat lane. disruption. It, it, like that's our it's, job. It's that and it's manipulation. Yeah. Well, it, on, but it, but it's on both sides, right? Because it doesn't matter what your mission is, and it doesn't matter which side you're trying to get the mission completed on, you're gonna use manipulation against 
U.S. forces and against the enemy well, to get for, your mission completed. For U.S. forces and then against the enemy. Yeah. So it, it's psychological let, let operations. Me, let me let me rephrase what I said. You're going to use your skills against the U.S. Army <laughs> and against the enemy sure. to get your mission complete. Because your mission is different than our mission. Uh, right. But so, you're going to do whatever you can do to get <laughs> us to do what you need us to do to get your mission complete. Uh, yes. Which is manipulation. Absolutely. So... I understand you're what you're wrong. trying to say, you're but wrong. you're not being, you don't have to be not, PC here. You're not wrong. <laughs> so by manipulation, John is referring to motivation that we got. It's when still the body what, the whatever, whatever you want to put it down. It, as I will tell terms. you right now, I have never seen a stack move faster than we ran Metallica's fuel right before they were going to kick it off. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. So any of, us, any of us that have ever stood in a stack, there's a count to it. So, you stack on the wall and then there's a countdown and because yeah. it, there's, well, the, the, there's the weight shift uh, back and I, then there's a the weight shift. Forward. I, I think instead of count, you want to go with cadence. Uh, yeah. There's a cadence. And then when, when Metallica plays, you go to that cadence. Right. So, you can so, time it. <laughs> so it's aggressive as fuck. And you wait, you wait for the stack to actually be on the wall. Well, for those or of you, whatever that, it is, for those of you that know what I'm talking about, it, it, there's a stack. So you'd watch the stack happen, you'd watch it, and then you'd hit it. And you'd, you'd hear Hammett come through the speakers and it was go, give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Boom, and then, the door, and then the door would just break. <laughs> and if you want to watch motherfuckers move, it like... Yeah. You'd, and so, yes, there was... Now, at the same time, we also know our guys can hear that and the dudes on the other side of the door can also hear that. And so it was... it. it when you can manipulate a situation to where it's my guys are fighting better yeah. and they're fighting worse. Yeah. No grunt has ever looked at me and gone. I really don't appreciate that. You did that. During <laughs> <our> <laughs> like, right. that, is, that has never been a thing. Um, yeah, but yes, it, it, it was a twofold manipulation thing. Um, they changed it afterwards and started calling it human topography. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> human topography was the idea of like how a, environment is behaving with the U S military influence versus not the influence. Right. So we would get information from the locals, but one of our most valuable targets was literally the grunts. It was, it was the 11 series guys. It was the guys that were kicking indoors. And it's like, when you're, when you're dealing with a non-hostile, uh, local, what is their behavior like? Right. Right. But everybody had stories. And so you had to know how to listen to those stories and pull the information you needed yep. on how to then change the behavior that we were eliciting, like yeah. the behavior we wanted to 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 get done. Even off the stories of like, bro, you got to hear what happened today. And so we would listen to every story that you guys had. It, it's going to help you on a future because mission. Because then though. we could do that and we could impact it into the mission. Yep. Well, I think, um, I think as an example, if you go into a house that's a non-threat, for whatever security purposes, whatever. Right. And all the people in the house are very compliant. Like that would be something you guys would want to know. Absolutely. And versus, so that's, versus somebody who's going to push back a little bit. And, and that's and the human, you. that's the human yeah. topography model. Yeah, it's yeah. a, because what we see is that it was happening in regions. So it was, Hey, this neighborhood, right. you know, we'd go do a knock and talk. And then there was other times that you had to go do a knock and talk. And there's, there's two yeah. different reactions that you were getting. Um, and, and that was, that was the big throughput. There was a lot of, 
especially in the early, early stages of it. People didn't know what our purpose was. Right. Are you guys familiar with a bub? Hmm. So a bub is a battle update brief. Okay. Um, they happen daily. Uh, it is typically all of the field grade and above whoever your star is that's in charge of your fob, whether it's a two star or three star, yeah. your divisional leader. That's kind of in, that's his battle space. Yeah. Everybody ends up reporting to that. Um, you guys were part of a very large. Yeah. It, 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 so it would typically, so the patch on the arm of that one star, two star, something like that would, would be probably something like it, it, it'd be the angry chicken or it, it'd be yeah, something yeah. like that. Well, when we would show up, we would literally have to essentially tell this guy why he shouldn't kick us off his fob. Okay. So you had to go to these bubs and it was, it was really interesting. So you'd show up as an E4 and E5 on the high end, you're an E6. Yeah. And you'd have to brief this general right. on why the fuck he shouldn't tell you to go pound sand yeah. and find something else to do. And, uh, I got my brief down to, cause you had 90 seconds. It was like 90 seconds. Yeah, why, you, why you shouldn't fire me. Right. <laughs> and I got it down to, sir, my job is to make sure that everything I am doing is removing the people in front of your rifles that you don't need to shoot. Yeah. So everybody's still standing in front of your guns as somebody that's a viable target because the last thing we want to do is shoot one and make two more. Yep. And as soon as you could get them to understand that yeah. you had a job and yeah. you could stay because they were totally within your rights of going, I, I think get you, off my fob. I yeah. think it's like, Oh shit. You, you <laughs> so, know, in, in hindsight with maturity, you're, you probably weren't selling him on. That was the notion you were convincing him that that's what you were actually trying to do. That you were the right person yeah. to do it. But, the, it, the, but that was just, our end goal. Right. Right. And, yeah. and so, because what we wanted to do like is, we, we want to play Metallica before your mission, sir. It, well, like but he's going to tell, you, that he's gonna a, tell <laughs> you to fuck off. But that's a, that's a tool to yeah. get it done. The true mission was yeah. we were there to fight those. Well, we can get into that. That's a whole different conversation. Let me rephrase that. The ones that we should be engaging with are the right. ones that deserve to be engaged yeah. with. Let me, I think that's a better way to phrase yeah. that. Um, it's not that any of us weren't willing to do our job while we were there, but we wanted to make sure that it was the right job we were doing. Um, I know I've had co offline conversations with both of you yeah. about, I don't necessarily have regrets of what I did in the military. Right. I just wanted to know that what I was doing, we were on the right path. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to, uh, obviously I had a very, I am not a kinetic solution guy. That was not my job. I'm not, you are a kinetic solution guy. You are a kinetic solution guy. That's, but my job was to make sure if we need to institute a kinetic solution, then it needs to be the right problem we're answering. Right. It can't just be a random problem. Yeah. And so that was my, and that's what we were briefing on is what I'm going to do is I'm going to increase the chance that when you unleash a kinetic solution, that the problem we are solving is the right problem. Right. <laughs> so with the right people. With, right. Yeah. Sure. Yep. Well, you put whatever noun you need to after that. I'm just going <laughs> to say it's the right, it's the right problem. Well, Cause I, I wouldn't say half your job, but a part of your job is to make, is try to make sure that the wrong people aren't in the, now, in, in the area. Half is totally fair. If not more. Yeah. Um, we were, so we viewed ourselves as a reverse combat multiplier. Yep. My job was to decrease the amount of non-combative. So that way the efficiency of 
of our fighting force, mm-hmm. which let's face it, we're the best in the world. If I can increase the efficiency, if I could increase the efficiency of you by 10%, right. Mission accomplished. Like that's right. Because we weren't, because if it was a solution that we solved and it was the wrong solution, we've just increased our problem. Yeah. Yeah. And so my job was to, we were a reverse combat multiplier. I shouldn't be making more fighters for the enemy. Right. I should be making less. And the problem when you're dealing with insurgency is sure you eliminated the one wrong bad guy. Yeah. But maybe it was a soft target. Right. Well, now I've made two more. Yeah. That's a combat multiplier. You turned one target into three. Right. That is not how we are trained to fight. We are trained to take out one and remove three. Like that's, that's how we're trained to fight. And so we did that, but we did it from a a larger view. Right. Um, And literally once our, our security details and stuff like that, and I hate calling them that. Like I hate, I hate referring to the, the, the 82nd, the 101, the SF guys, any of those is my, my security detail. They weren't. It's just that I wasn't a pull trigger, but it, and we needed pull triggers with us. It, so it, dep- it was a. It depends on the side that you're looking at, right? So sure. you you refer to it as a an attachment or detachment or. I, well, I mean, for anybody that's, it, it's hard, right? Like when you're if you've done it, it's hard to just refer to like, yeah, those guys were grunts, but that was just my attachment, and it's like, but, it, but you know, if shit pops off, that attachment doesn't give a but, fuck but what my job is. On, so like, on, on our side, it's similar. Like yeah, the the when we were talking about the guys that were with us in 03 when well, when you invaded the country, because when it started, it looked they, like you were babysitters, but they were the psyops guys that were attached to us, right? But it, it also, I, and we no, know, and, no, and they I, fell under our responsibility, yeah. and that's but, the but, thing is that as, we were totally aware. That the the grunt element or the 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 kinetic whatever solution, force it was that you guys the, were attached the, to the the forward facing force yeah we know when we first showed up we were viewed as these guys we have to babysit great now but we it, have these no. guys that, that can't they can't function with us and now we're we're responsible so for we them we never looked at them no. as we had to babysit them we had to keep them alive that was it yeah. but it was the same thing as when we had our own delta company which is our gun trucks that were attached to us sure. for a mission even though they were grunts and we knew exactly what they were capable of and they were part of our fucking battalion but they're still not you they were still our attachment and right. we were still responsible yeah. for and their so safety and our mission one of the one of the great things was uh, and, and thank you to big a army, uh, it, the, the best move they ever made with us is when they pushed us out of, uh, cause I think originally the branch fell into ordnance Corps. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, it, yeah. it, it, which didn't make any damn no. sense at all. I just don't think they knew where to um, put you they, guys. They didn't. Yeah. <laughs> cause it, well, it was an FA. It was a functional area before they branched it. Right. So, and I think it was ordnance Corps originally. I think you probably, you know, it, right. it predates you me. You probably fell under the engineers. No, no it wasn't. It was Ordnance, it was Ordnance yeah. Corps. It yeah. like wore the bomb, yeah. the whole yeah, nine yeah. yards. And, and so um, I know I should be better at my it heraldry or whatever. But you got there. It doesn't matter. But it was before I was there. <laughs> so fuck it. Um, when they pushed us over, it, the one thing that I will thank them for is that they so they retasked us. So we went from, so I belong to what, what's called a, a TPT, which is a Tactical Psychological Operations Team. Tactical means right here, right now. You saw you have strategic, yeah. which is yeah. the overarching yeah. look at it from the 30,000 foot view. And then there's the tactical level, which is 
well, my boots are in the dirt. So I'm going to make the call that we need to make right fucking now. The nice thing about when they made that transition was there's a training level that came with that, that was beyond just the classroom theoretical stuff. And so it was, Yes, you have to do all this classroom theoretical stuff. And now we're going to go do reflexive fire drills yeah. for the rest of the you got, afternoon. You've got so, tactile training it, it for the environment so, you're about to so, go into. But I can relate to you, like as a sniper team, right? Because there is a lot of classroom, schoolroom stuff well, that goes but on. But I'm that. saying, like, when you get a, when you get attached, right? As a sniper team, I get, I would get attached to a company. It was that company or platoon's job to keep, keep you alive. us alive yeah, yeah, yeah. until we got yeah. into our position to do our job. Right. You know, and even once you were in your position, you still fall, fell under their responsibility. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. so you know, we, we were a force multiplier. Yeah, but absolutely. But we weren't the, by the way, I, I don't know if Syop ever directly interacted with your team. Syop learned very quickly how valuable a sniper element was very early on we didn't see we had we had psyops initially and then i don't think we ever fucked with him again. we had it for really? we had it for anishoff yeah we had it for baghdad but once we got in place after baghdad we never had him we'll talk about that offline yeah. but i'd like to know like what i i, I want to get into like the fob conversation like what what camp and stuff like that you guys were we, we'll, we'll talk about it yeah, offline, yeah. But we, so we weren't at a camp that and that's why so it, this is are, really interesting we've never had this conversation before so i'm like i'm thoroughly interested in this right now like i've known you guys for a while but we've never actually sat down and like had this, this is combo, like 2003 so. there weren't camps like ah, that's fair like, that's no, totally we, fair they, there was one. Oh, and it, i mean yeah. in, in missoula there was uh, where all the palaces were uh but it, it was just it was all support yeah there was no infantry that was per se stationed there for lack yeah. of better words we guarded it but we were never we never lived there we never ran operations out of it some of us did because you <laughs> but but it was because it was either overwatch or support yeah no because, but, uh, but but at the time once once you quote unquote lived there you were no longer with the line unit no we had delta company and scouts were the right. only infantry there really but yeah. delta ran out of that because yeah. they needed support yeah. For their vehicles, they yeah. needed fuel, they needed everything. All the other line companies for our battalion that covered that entire half of Missouri. And, yeah. and that's interesting because I mean you're looking at we were spread out. You're looking at a five year gap. And that, yeah. that five year gap. It's amazing just how much but no, though, I, how much we're, that we're talking about like a like a seven month gap of when we that's we wild. took the city and we controlled the city to when they pulled everybody back, centralized into a fob, and then they had no control over that city anymore. Yeah. That's wild. But we should. Yeah. Anyway, so, so after yeah. you, so you got out of the military when 07? 13. 13, excuse me. You went in in 07. Yeah, I was older. Okay. So, and, and so when you got out in 13, what did you do after? I immediately went into the cigar industry. Okay. So your transition was I got off got off active duty and now I'm gonna, I'm going to pursue a passion or I'm going to no, get paid. No, it's absolutely a passion. Um so, I got into cigars uh, pre-military, uh, like I said, I went in older. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it's, it, it's interesting. A lot of my friend group and stuff like that, you talk to them and they were like, no, I signed my paperwork like but spring of my senior year and then went to the military. Two yeah, days after I turned 18. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was, I was later, 17. I, I had, there's advantages and disadvantages to that. Yeah. Um, there's some of me that, that goes like, man, I wish I'd have gone in when I hadn't connected to anything. It like, was literally, I didn't know the world at all when I joined the military. But then at the same time with what I did for the military, I'm right. glad I went in older. Um, 
that's also why you'll see this 70% of the reserve forces in or the PSYOP forces in the reserves. The psychological operations community actually views civilian experience as an asset yeah, going right. into PSYOP. Um, cause it just, you're not in that regimented mindset. Not that it's a bad thing yeah, yeah, yeah. in line units and stuff. That it's a very good thing in PSYOP. It's not a great thing. You yeah. don't want that. You want to be able to see, you want to be able to think outside the um, box. I mean, PSYOP are the ones that invented information operations. Like all of that came out of my community. So, um, but yeah, so literally as soon as I essentially could smoke cigars, I started smoking cigars. Yeah. So, um, immediately got in, made all the same mistakes that everybody does. Uh, you know, thought that CAO moon trance was like the best thing that's <laughs> ever existed. Um, and then got into it when you, so really got into it as a, as a passion. Um, so after you got like out, graduated boot camp, and my gift was a box of cigars. Nice. Like that was, so after you got out, how, how and what was your first job in the cigar industry? Retail, actually. So um, after I got out of the service, my my first job in premium tobacco yeah. uh, was working in a, a retail. Am I allowed to shout out stores? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so Emerson Cigars uh, oh, nice. in, in um, the Hampton Roads area. So uh, I worked in the Virginia Beach location. Uh, I got hired as a retail guy, just an hourly sales associate okay um and then got promoted to assistant manager of that store yeah and then the timing was just right and the guy that had been the general manager of their flagship store uh was leaving to go to the so the hansen road there is is also home to norfolk yeah so norfolk virginia is where they build the ships and he left he was a shipwright left and worked in the tobacco industry for like 10 years and then he gave up his job to go back and be a shipwright. Essentially, the union was like, hey, we'll pay you double what you were making if you'll come fucking uh, where, build ships. Where now. do I sign? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, prior Navy guy, the whole nine yeah, yards. Yeah. So uh, he left. Um, what was cool is there was like an eight-week transition period. So I got I got hired. Um, Scott Regina, amazing store owner, mm. huge champion for the industry. Huge. Uh, it, I mean- it, it, unmistakable what he's done for the cigar world in the last to this day he's still fighting. Yeah. He, he fights he's, he's expanded it he's he's proven scott's a yeah. an amazing guy for the industry and he's just a genuinely good human being to have a conversation it's scott is also just good, his brother too both yep. of them are yeah. the reginas are are awesome um and so uh he trusted me with his flagship store and he hired me as his manager of his flagship store and um so I took that over, got an eight week training period with his prior manager who knew everything about retail tobacco, yeah. like how to, to give the customer that experience. Right. What, and what I mean by that experience is that when you think of what it's like to go into a cigar store, that was that guy. It okay. was the whole, Hey sir, how you doing? Shake his hand, walk yeah. him in the humidor, you know, it, it, get a feel for where his smoking level was like right. his smoking education and all that kind of stuff. And it, it was that, that concept of you are the most important person in the world right now. Right. And we're going to treat it that way. Yeah. Um, I working with Scott, I had the luxury of working for, it was a white label store. So it was Davidoff white label. It was all the super premiums. It yeah. was, it was all that kind of stuff. Um, an amazing clientele. And so it was, it was an amazing training session for right. what the world is like in the premium cigars. Okay. I learned so much 
even being a, a smoker for a while, and I'm from San Antonio, so um, it, here in our city, we have some amazing tobacco retailers yeah. in San Antonio. Another, again, another group of champions in the industry that that really push it. But I was only consumer. Yeah. So going to work for a guy like Scott and really getting to see what it was like on the even the retailer side of the industry yeah. and and the difference in how you should treat a, a, a customer to bring them in and, it, and make them. It, you kind of lucked out. And, and, I did. And Absolutely. I, and, no, and, it, this was not on purpose. I, was say, I, I, I lucked I, out. I might be using the wrong word for it because I don't know if it's some, if Emerson's was a place that you seeked. Or so, if it just kind of happened. I, I'm not going to lie. I, I got out of the military and I didn't know what the fuck I was going to do. Yeah. Um, just like the rest of us. Yeah. And so <laughs> I was working bullshit jobs. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wouldn't even get into what the fuck it was. But, you, you know, you get out of yeah. the military and you're like, hey, I have this really specific skill set that yeah, I don't know what I can to for deal anything with. else. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and Scott saw it as an opportunity. Yeah. And so, and, and so Scott brought me in and, uh, he, he, but he really gave him the opportunity. And Scott was one of the ones that was like, we're going to put you through tobacco university. Right. Uh, we're going to set up meetings where the reps are going to come in. The reps are going to talk to you one-on-one as the manager. I mean, like Scott, when I say that Scott is a true champion in the industry, if you're dealing with any of his staff at mm. all, you're dealing with the best in the world. I mean, these guys Absolutely. are just, they're you next think, level. Like, and, and for the people, there's probably a small percentage of people that will listen to this and understand what we're talking about with Emerson's. But the majority of the people, I don't, I don't believe that they'll understand mainly because they've, they're not from that area. They've never been to the shop or maybe they're not as well versed in the industry to understand who, the Regina's are. Yeah. And, and, and that's um, a super interesting but, just situation in itself. But, but you walking into Emerson's as your first. And I was a consumer experience of working in the cigar industry. Yeah. Puts you leaps and bounds above 90% of the people that are entering this a, industry. 100%. This is like you kind of like cigars and somehow got a job at Fender. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's, it's next right? level. And like so the, these one of guys, his, the, the, just their humidors alone are the phenomenal. Man. Yeah. Their locations are prime, every single one of them. And they have multiple locations, but the knowledge that's behind the, the ownership and staff that they have and and like you said before, the things that, the, that, that the Regina family does for the industry. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. Is next level the yeah. the commitment that they have. Like these are the people that are like, we love what we do, and we're gonna fight tooth and nail to make sure we can yeah, continue doing what we're doing. So far beyond for just generations, just not the just money. For us. Yeah, I mean, so and you need to keep in mind when Scott took over, he's the son-in-law mm-hmm. of. So he married into the family oh. and had so much passion that the his father-in-law passed it on to him. So, I mean, this is a. That's the level of passion in Scott right. Regina is when somebody can can build a family business, yeah, and then you marry in and you care so much shit about it that right. the father in law is like, yeah, you can you can take it over. And his wife is outstanding too. Right. Like it, it, so, Scott and his wife are the are the primary owners. His brothers involved. It's still a family business. Yeah. Um, but I was a consumer. I was working bullshit jobs, but I wasn't going to give up cigars. So it was so, a, I'll do nothing else so, so how, that I can buy cigars. How long were you at Emerson's? 
I was in all in. I was in Emerson's about fourteen months. Okay. Um, and what'd you what what'd you end up doing after that? So, I it, so this was I was young and dumb and thought I was slick, mm-hmm. right? So I was working for Emerson Cigars. Uh, you guys are manufacturers. You understand the reputation of Emerson Cigars. Yeah. Um, you probably understand the reputation of that territory too. Just the other retailers yeah, right. that are just near him are. It's some of the best in the world. It really is. Or within like a four state, like little bubble. And um, so I was working there. I'm a huge fan. Am I allowed to say other brands yeah, on the show? Yeah, like it's whatever. Your show? Okay. So, Absolutely. Uh, it, by the way, go buy as much Warfighter as you possibly fucking can. They make my favorite cigar in the world. <laughs> so, it, it, currently, seriously. Which one is that, by the way? It, it's the it's the Garrison 556, the Corojo wrapper. I, I, I smoke the dog shit out of the cigar in <laughs> every shape and size that you guys make it. Um, he they, told he told me dealer choice when I got him a cigar earlier, and he and didn't I got, get me my cigar because like, he already had two of them today. <laughs> I, I did, so I'm like, here, I want you to smoke this one. Well, that doesn't count the two Corojo Minutemen that I smoked for breakfast this morning. <laughs> so I did. Uh, seriously, you guys, I, I know you're my friends, and blah 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 blah. That cigar. So I talked to you about it at my wedding. There's only one other cigar that I smoke as much as I smoked that cigar. There's so. one thing to. Like we've known you long enough now where there's one thing to be like, oh, I really like this cigar and you smoke it in front of us to allow us to understand that you like it. But there's another thing that with the the, the length of time that we've known you and how close we've known you that you can't bullshit us for that long. No, I buy it by the box. I like I, this I, cigar I, and no. I'm just going to play this game. No, no, like, I, buy legitimately. It by the, I buy it by the box. I, I buy it. The minimum, I buy it by the bundle. Like it's, it's just a fantastic cigar. Um, but it, this is, this is predating you guys. And, and to this day, they're still probably number one for me. I'm a massive La Florida Minicana fan. Yeah. Um, have been since I started smoking. Like it there, I'm just a massive fan of the brand. Uh Lito is an amazing guy. Yeah. Um, but I was a huge La Florida Minicana fan. And so the rep for La Florida Minicana, when he would come to my territory, always spent a lot of time in my store because yeah. I was the general manager of the store. And so he would come and we would do like impromptu stuff where it was like, Hey, the reps here, if you buy three, I'll give right. you one and stuff like that. And I would just take it out of his trunk stock and yeah. we would do the stuff. But I sold a shit ton of La Florida Minicana because it's what I was smoking all the time. Right. So even as a rep or not a rep, as a manager of the store, almost everybody would ask you, Hey, what are you smoking? Yeah. And it was almost always a La Flor. And so I sold a lot of it, became friends with this rep. We were going to dinner and all that kind of stuff because I was I was just blowing these cigars out of the water. Yeah. And then a position opened. Yeah. So he came to me and was like, I know how much you love this. Do you want to make the jump? Do you want to go from retail to the manufacturer side? And be because there is a jump. Let's talk about that for a second. It's a different animal. Because there's a lot of people that are in the industry that work in a shop and they're like, oh, my dream job would be to be a rep. It's not the same thing. Is it really though? Well, let's. I think Jazz, you can enlighten. That, and that, and that's, and that, but that's why I wanted to ha- like yeah. start with that because, like, yeah, in so, a perfect world, it's a phenomenal job. It, yeah. And so it, the only way I can describe it is a jump. So you're used to you wake up in your bed. You take a shower, you get dressed, you go to a retail store that doesn't open until ten o'clock in the morning, and then people come to you, and then people come to me. 
and they walk in my and they humidor. They already want to buy a cigar when if, they come if to you. If you walk in my store, yeah, you're looking to spend money, and you're walking in my humidor. And at that point, you were either you were either well versed enough in your cigars yep. that you were going to walk in, and you're going to tell me I what want you want, this or this or this, right? And you're yep. going to go give me a box of that. And you have those customers that would come in and be like, "Hey, every week, I know without a shadow of a doubt." Triple B's walking in and I miss you, buddy. If you, if you ever fucking summary this, this is a real guy. His name was triple B winter retirement. Great. I'll tell you the story some other time, but triple B, if you see this, I fucking love you, bud. Uh, but he would walk in and he would buy two boxes of Monte Cristo white label every Monday morning. Yeah. Without fails, Monte Cristo white label Toros. It was on my order every week to make sure that I yeah. fucking had that in the <laughs> shelf and we serviced that customer. Like it, but that was the Emerson's model. Yeah. It was how do we make every customer feel like they they yeah. they that we we troweled a personal canal up to the store so that your yacht could park in front and pull up. That was the but model. If, if you want to be successful in this industry, that's, that's essentially the model, the model you, have, you, have, to you have, to have to have. And so, when I was asked to go to make the jump, I had a lot of questions. Now I was lucky that I was friends with the rep. Yeah, and I. What's it like? What, like, give me your day. Cause I was used to get up, take a shower, have breakfast, have some coffee, maybe smoke a cigar. Yeah. Be at my store by 10, you know, open yeah. it up. Yeah. 10 to six, normal shift. Monday yeah. Friday, maybe a six, weekend. If had you a staff event. that covered yeah. for me. If I had to take time off, like all of that kind of stuff. Right. And the customers walking into you telling yeah. you what they want, or they're going, I don't know shit. So you I'm having a bachelor party or I'm, I'm having so a baby at or that point, I I'm thought gonna, about getting a cigar. I'm going to tell you what you want. And at that point, yeah. <laughs> and, and so you need to be able to speak intelligently enough just to go, this is where you need to be. Yeah. Well, my friend told me this. I understand what your friend told you, but he's not the one in the shop right now. So here's what you actually need yeah. to be smoking. The rep side is so different. It's, you're going to spend 300 nights a year in a hotel. Yeah. You're not going to have friends. Every yeah. friend you have also works in the industry. And you see them in passing. And you see them in passing or because they cover the same territory, you're sharing your schedules and you're scheduling, you're scheduling dinner nights. You're scheduling right. because that's the only social interaction you're going to get. Outside of talking to somebody in a shop for a sales Because call. regardless of how much you think that shop likes you, how much that shop thinks you're a friend, it, any of that. It doesn't because as soon as I walk in there and I've got my suit on and I've got my, my sample bag with me and everything, I am there to go, Hey, you need to give me money. And that friend that I had dinner with last night, fuck him. I want his shelf space <laughs> yeah. so I can put more boxes in your humidor. It, it is, it is one of the most cordial cutthroat industries yeah. that you can possibly imagine. Because it's super professional. It's it's beyond professional. Um, there's requirements that come along with it with certain brands. Um, I loved LaFleur. They didn't have crazy ones, but we were expected to dress a certain way. Yeah. You were expected to pull up in a certain level of car. Yeah. You were expected to use a certain level of lighter. Right. Like Because you are supposed to be projecting the brand a yeah. premium product yeah and if i don't look like hey there's so much lafleur flowing through our account that i can afford that hemi powered jeep that's outside right that i can wear this watch that i can wear this hugo boss that i can that i can use this dupont and all that kind of yeah. stuff you're missing out 
Because if you're not selling this product, this is all money I'm going to sell to somebody else. And if you're not spending enough with me, you're also not going to get all the hyper premium stuff. You're right. not getting small batch. You're not right. getting factory press. You're not getting LG. Like, well, I want to carry LG for this Christmas. Cool. Show me the 27 facings. Yeah. Show me the 27 facing requirement that is needed to carry this fucking cigar. Oh, you're not doing that? You're not getting it. I don't know what to tell you. Will I spend this much? Sure. But you don't have the facing requirement. So you're not getting it. No. And But LFD is big enough. They are now. They, where they can do that. They are now. But even, um, even then. Even then, we were... We were it's, so... When we, I was there, we so, referred to ourselves on. as the king of the boutiques. Let me re, let me let me rephrase what I was trying to say. Because of what you did then, and the requirements the company had on you guys, meaning the reps at that time, LFD is what it is now. Sure, and, and even in my period of time, we were referred to we referred to ourselves and started to get referred to as the king of the boutiques. You guys aren't, well, I wouldn't say you guys, but LFD is not a boutique anymore. Not now. <laughs> they're, they're, if you're in the cigar world, you know the name. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at the time, they were king of the boutiques. So once you start winning best cigar in the world and stuff like that, you have to give up the boutique label. You're just, yeah. you're too big at that point. But when I was there, it was, it was, this is also in the middle of the boutique world. So yeah. this was the twit, the, the tweet ups and, and, right. This you know, is when, when, when everybody Twitter had, actually held weight in the cigar industry. Right. This was also anybody with seven and five hundred bucks could start a boutique brand because some company would roll cigars for you yeah, and stuff like that. Go. So they were <laughs> we can name some others too, but that's not the point of this podcast. But it, it's a different world. It's a it was a huge jump. Um, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um so how long I have did lifelong work, friends now. How long yeah. did you work as a rep for? For LaFleur or just in general? <laughs> well, yes. Take us through the progression. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what, so as of right now, we knew that you were military, mm -hmm. you're PSYOP, you got out of the military, you worked for Emerson retail, and then you transitioned from there to LFD. Right. So, so give us from there till. till so LaFleur, I was with LaFleur for two years. Um, at the end of the two years, the Madero's family of cigars approached me mm. and offered me the VP position for. Uh, their entire family of brands. So that was seven, seven brands. Okay. Um, in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have taken it. I probably should have just stayed with LaFleur. At the same time, I also know where LaFleur is at right now. And I'd probably still just be a rep in the Mid-Atlantic. Yeah. Still just slinging cigars. And the 300 nights of a fucking year it, yeah, in a hotel. <laughs> you guys know me well enough that... Uh, treading water isn't really my jam it's well, I'm, I'm not very good at it um so but when you're offered when you're young and, and you're you're trying to move your career and you're offered a vp position yeah it, yeah you know you take it so it was a little bit more money but it was a little bit more money with the opportunity to go grow right a bunch of brands and so that was and that was a whole new experience because right. that was they didn't have an in-house rep system yeah. Um, LaFleur was one of the few boutique companies out there that had their own reps. These right. were primary reps. So when I went into the VP position, I had to deal with brokers. So now it was this whole, Hey, my brand's good enough for you to carry. Yeah. And then it was still 300 nights a year, but I was flying to all over the country to ride with brokers was, yeah. to make sure that they were doing their fucking job. Right. And so that turned into a whole next level of management. But the advantage to that was when you're in a sm 
smaller company, but at that position, mm. you also have control of what's going to market. True. So then the experience came into, no, we've done that. This is what we need to look at. Or this blend isn't strong enough. It's not keeping up with what the industry is doing. We need right. to re-blend this. These labels aren't communicating. We need to redesign a label. Right. We need to redesign a box. Our promo is not good enough. What are our show specials? like? So it got, by, by taking that job and moving to a different position, it put you more in line with the behind-the-scenes aspects of things than it right. does with the sales side of and, things. And what's so hilarious is You still have to that, do sales, but your focus... They, they focused you a little bit more on the, the product line. Right. So the cigar industry, the most common position that you will see, so you'll have like owners, and then the next position you'll see will be a position called the VP of sales and marketing. Yep. So they don't want to give you like president or whatever. Yeah. They will make you VP of sales to, and marketing. We don't want to tell him when you run this bitch, but you run right. this bitch. And so <laughs> what's amazing is when you become a rep, you think you know what the fuck is going on. You have no idea. And then you become a VP and you're like, oh, I didn't know fuck all. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, um, and I, I, I'm not going to lie. I absolutely fucking loved it. I absolutely loved being well, you in your that hands position. Dirty. It, and that's exactly what it was. Yeah. And it, I think a lot of it actually came back to the military experience. And it okay. was, I know if I change this, this, and this, I know the response right. I'm going to get on the other end. And so you can start controlling that and watching it bleed in. Um, it, it, there is something amazingly satisfying about being involved in a blend, watching that blend go out, get a successful marketing campaign. It hits. And then you start getting responses back yeah. and they're like, no, this was awesome. And that was awesome. And it was like, okay, yeah, it made me some money. But more importantly, something that I'm passionate about right. created now, a new passion in the industry that I'm so in. I can relate to that with our producer, Justin. And I can relate to that with our night shift cigar because Justin was came in clutch on the design yep. for the band and for the box. Yeah. We gave him left and right limits. We tweaked certain things, but he was our subject matter expert in getting that. What's the market going to gonna market. see? It's, it's so in, but, in terms, but, that's the front facing side. What brought right. full circle is when we got our shipment in and I handed them a box out of that box, the first box that I opened. And I was like, you made this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and it's something else. It's, it's a different, it's a different experience. Yeah. Um, and now we're sold out. Uh, yeah. We can't <laughs> keep them in stock. So yeah. good fucking job, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's an amazing experience. Um, I mean, you guys have, you guys have a stellar lineup and, and you, and it was you two that made the decisions on all of that stuff that, that, that formed the foundation for Warfighter. And, yeah. I'm sure, and so you understand the feeling of, Hey, I had this idea and then we yeah. made this idea but, and I didn't know if fuck all was going to work. And then I put it out into the world and the world went, Good job. But it, like, what, so. what I was saying with that was we don't get that. Well, at least I'm speaking personally. I don't know if Scott feels the same way or not, but I'm assuming so. We don't get that same feeling. Right. We, we, we have a, we have an idea. It gets put into production. It, it goes to market. We look at, at the data after it goes live and we make emotional decisions, whether we did good or did bad afterwards. But it doesn't have to do with how that looks. It has to do with how that portrays in the market. So right. But that, when I, when I see the reaction of him off of that first box, that's what brought it full circle for me <laughs> to understand that we just because we've launched products. Yeah. 
we've done this. It, it's been we've done it uh, however many times before that blend came out. Right, and it's fucked up, but it's essentially one of those. But in, uh, in previous design elements on things that we've done before, it wasn't per se somebody in house. Sure, but let, let's go back to my favorite cigar. Okay. Okay. So when the first time the five five six showed up, yep, banded, yeah, boxed. We had the whole nine yards. We also had five other blends show up the same day. Same, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Because you made a core line. So we had, I, I, I totally understand. So had, you have to. Got, you have to have a foundational it got, line. It got drowned out. It did. Yeah. We had six blends. But sure. and it was like, all, so they all showed up at the same good, time. You know? They all showed up at the same time. Yeah, yeah. But what was that feeling like when you cut open that palette the first time and saw what was an idea on the back of a napkin sitting in Nebraska, fucking doing nothing, yeah. and all of a sudden, you had fucking product. Do you want to know my honest What was feeling? that feeling? You want yeah. to know my honest feeling is we can finally start to pay back debt. Yeah. <laughs> no, no yeah. bullshit. Okay. okay. It no, has totally nothing fair. to do with, it with this cigar's phenomenal. Or you, I can't wait till people see it. You, you kick out so much money and it takes Ooh. so long. We to were, see we were something. So, you we were so buried right. at yeah. that point in the yeah. company that it was like, oh my God, we can finally start paying our and bills. So, yeah. And so maybe that's where my luxury was. Is and, but that's why like that's why I want to hear it takes is away the separation. It so, takes away, yeah. and I having, think that's having, that's probably the thing is that I had the separation. Mm -hmm, I had yeah. the separation to where I wasn't the one that had to sign the check, right? And I wasn't the one. I didn't have to sign the check. I didn't have to sign the loan it, paperwork. I didn't have to sign any of that. It, it sounds fucked up. Scott and I literally had this conversation a few hours ago today before we started recording the podcast we did earlier, and it was at. at it doesn't matter the conversation we had, but it got to the point where it's, it doesn't matter. It's not our money. And, it, and it's not it, a bad thing to say it that way, I don't, but it's the yeah. same thing when, 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 what you were talking about, about seeing something come to fruition and now it's, it's, it's in the market, right? The fact that you get the enjoyment because it was brought to market and you had a hand in it versus it was brought to market. But I had to cut the check for it. I guess the only difference is, is that the stuff that it was like, yeah, we're going to bring it to market. But if it doesn't make any money, you're like, get fucking paid. But on the opposite side of this, if luxury, it doesn't make any money, now we're in more debt. Right. I had the luxury of the separation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wasn't, I wasn't on the hook mm -hmm. for if it doesn't work. At the same well, time, ultimately you were because it was your job. It was my job. And so that's what I'm saying is at the but same time. But it wasn't time, your investment. If, but if my idea didn't work. You're fucked. And <laughs> it, I think it comes down to a passion issue. Mm -hmm. um, I love this industry. I, I, I legitimately love this industry. Yeah. I, I love the people I've met. I've loved. I, I love nothing more than to see people that I knew that were nothing that are now fucking huge. And these are guys that I knew that were, you know, now have full rep teams and they're out there doing it. Right. But when I met them, you know, they they're had cigars in their trunk yeah. and they were the ones, the owners were the ones personally right? going and stuff like that. <laughs> and I love seeing those guys do well. Um, I love the industry. I've said this for Jesus Christ, 20 years now. Uh, I I firmly believe deep down cigars are the great fucking equalizer. Yeah, yeah. But so your so, background, your money, your age, all of that gets deleted when we can sit down and we can cut and light a cigar and we can both go, "Oh, you enjoy smoking cigars? 
I enjoy smoking cigars. And all of a sudden, all of the other qualifiers that you yeah. build a tribe out right. of fucking disappear. And then though. you can sit down and get to know somebody. And then I can, and it's really just a personality. And thing then at that you get point. to realize that we are in two completely different tax brackets. And I probably <laughs> shouldn't be having a conversation <laughs> right. with you right now. And you know what? What's great though, is that those guys that are, that are out of your tax bracket or under your tax bracket or, or whatever. It doesn't fuck, matter. It all really of it doesn't. goes away. And, and I, that is honest to God is what makes me love this industry. I, 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 I love the craft of it. I love yeah. the flavor of it. I love all of that. But I can tell you right now, I have I have no questions asked friends that I have from the cigar industry. I have more. I'll put it this way and you guys will understand. Yeah. I have more permanent friends from the cigar industry than I ever had from the military. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Because in the military, I'm limited to the guys that I interacted with. Yeah. And, yeah but I true. can make new ones that are just as deep from this. And so when I was in charge of new blends or new releases and stuff like that, it may have been a personal investment piece or whatever. Yeah. But it was definitely a, I never viewed it as, well, fuck it. It's not my money. No. It always had that gravity. I always acted like it was my money. Oh yeah, absolutely. And All so right. the, the, the losses obviously, I, I, I'm not going to say I batted a thousand when yeah, I, yeah. I wanted to put stuff out there. Um, but at the same time, the victories were, yeah, yeah. God, they were so good. And so, so I love the industry. Given the opportunity to go back in, I'd probably do it. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Given the opportunity to, to get back in the industry, I'd probably take it. I just, God, I love this. I, I just love the industry so, so, so much. I'm going to speed things up a little bit because we're running a little long. But uh, <laughs> after after that, what did you do next? I lost my fucking mind and decided to go be a college student. Okay, so that sucks. And then life went downhill <laughs> after that. Yeah. So hold on, then, hold on, hold on. What'd you go to college for? Film. No, 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 no. What uh, originally? What, no, what what is like the 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 I, I, nomenclature for lack of better words? I don't know what they call it when you what's your what was your major and minor? And, and so I it, <laughs> So I went to an art conservatory. There it is. Yeah. So, uh, so I have a I have a BFA in creative Blank producing. Exactly. Uh, I have a bachelor in fine arts in <laughs> in uh, creative producing. Okay. From the University of North Carolina School of the Arts, uh, their claim to fame is that the film program has a lower acceptance rates than Harvard Law. Well, it's because there's like 14 people that. I, I, yeah. So um no, they only accept 99 students a year. Okay. Is uh, that is wow. that because of the limitation that they have in their their capabilities uh, of it, teaching? It, it students has to or? do with how they want to teach. Um, so they don't want individual classroom sizes larger than 12 students because it doesn't allow one-on-one -on -one interaction. Yeah. So they limit it to 99 students. Um, but it's a conservatory. So it's it's a uh, you take five classes a semester. They're all worth three credits a piece. Yeah. Um, you're on set every weekend. It's, it's a full immersion. It's, yeah. it's like going, the big ones that everybody knows about are like for music, you go to Juilliard right. and stuff like that. It's the equivalent to that, but for okay. film. So after you got done with that, what did you do? So, uh, I got divorced, which was a, <laughs> a big one. Um, which brought me back to Texas. Okay. And when I came back to Texas, uh, I used my film degree, got into um, advertising, brand management, photography. Yeah. Um, and uh, so did that for a while. And then 
went back to the cigar industry and became the VP for another company. For photography or for for sales and actual cigar industry So I was brought in. So on that one, they actually made me the VP of operations, which was a a really interesting title. So you're more in-house than you were. No, it was everything. This was, they just wouldn't give me the president title essentially. So operationally, Uh, I was the president of the company. mm -hmm. Um, But the, the owner wanted it to be owner president and then the, he wanted a, a secondary. Right. And so I got the secondary position. Um, so it was literally everything. And and when they brought me in, it was a, we're losing market share. Can you reboot the brand? Okay. And so because of my experience and what I had done, I was like, oh, it, give it a shot. It, yeah, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> um, and we made a good run at it and we were, it was, it was, we were riding the ship. Yeah. Um, but in any industry where you have passion, yeah, you are also going to have personalities that just don't click. That's true. And I, I found myself in a position to where I was very passionate. I was back in the boutique industry, which is where I wanted to be. Right. Um, and so, yeah, let me caveat with, if I could go back in the industry, it wouldn't be like, Oh, I work for general cigar. Like, yeah, I would never want to do that. It would have to be in a brand where I, I, I feel like if Jazz went back in the industry, he'd be like, well, I work for Warfighter Tobacco. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tempt me. <laughs> um, it, but it, 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 there, was a, there was a personality conflict. There was, there was a level of drive and I guess desire for where there was, a, there was a, a serious schism to where I wanted to see the brand go and where the brand owner was ready to let the brand go. Okay. And so that, and they didn't line up and they didn't line up. Um, I wish them all the best, but it was, it was one of those situations. And I don't think this is the right platform for me to really get into who that was, but uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, I did go back into the industry and, uh, I loved it. And then it, it, it honestly, my wife and I had a discussion about, Hey, if you're going to keep doing this, do you really want to keep making money for somebody else? Yeah. And it was like, I don't want to make money for somebody else if they don't care as much as I do. Right. And so now I own a game store and bar. And uh, so, so you went f- pretty much full, full circle, just not in the same industry. You went from, for lack of better words, entry-level employee. Yeah. You're, you're a sales guy at a, at a shop. Like there isn't really a much lower unless you're, part of cleaning no straight up i was i was hourly with commission yeah. like that so so you're entry level in the cigar industry and then you moved your way up assistant manager manager and then you went rep and then you went vp then you went vp operations or excuse me vp sales and you went vp operations and then you realized that i can do more of my own for myself and you transitioned out of that to a, a brief hiatus and do a different industry than than into a uh, a business owner for yourself. Right. And so you kind of covered all spectrums. I I did. I was, I was all over the place. And, and and what was your timeline? Like, so you got out of the military in 11, 13, fuck me. And 13, uh, did you go immediately go into the scar industry from 13? I immediately went to the scar industry. So, so we're talking from 13 to now in the last 10, 10 years, years, I went from as low as you can go in premium tobacco to almost as high as you can go without being to a brand short owner. of owning a brand to 
now being a business self, owner, self-employed own. in a non-related industry. So you in realize a in 10 years that you can work for somebody at the beginning. And then 10 years later, you realize that you don't have the personality to work for somebody else. You can only work for yourself. Uh, oof, that's a hard question. No, it's um, a statement. I didn't <laughs> ask a question. <laughs> I, 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 will, I will flat out tell you I'm a bad employee. I am too. I, I'm a horrible employee. Um, I'm a horrible employee short of people. I, I, I'll flat out say it short of people like Lito Gomez. Lito Gomez is a brand owner. He's a legend of the industry mm. and, and he will go down as a legend in the industry. Lito Gomez is the owner of La Florida Minicana. If you don't know, nobody has ever had an act, interaction with Lito that doesn't say he was amazing to be with. Lito is one of those ones where if you tell him, you give me the tools, get the fuck out of my way. He'd be like, here, go. And I'm good. So I was going to say that I think you're, you're a terrible employee unless you're given control. If if you let me do what I'm here to do, I'm a great employee. Right. If you're somebody that wants me to explain every decision I'm going to fucking make, and you're going to tell me how I should make every decision I'm going to make, I'm going to tell you you're fucking retarded and, and, yeah. and it doesn't work. Um, the other thing that will kill me is if you are a, if, if I'm out passioning you and it's your fucking business. Yeah. 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 We're not going right. to, we're not going to find equal footing. Yeah. Um, so for, for, from a listener standpoint, how hard was the transition from employee to owner? So you guys will probably attest to this. If you're going to give advice to somebody that makes that transition to be like, you know what? I've worked a whole bunch of jobs and I feel like all I'm doing is getting fucked and I I can't make it work with somebody else. And I'm thinking about doing something on my own. What would your, what would your advice be to that person that's thinking about starting something on their own? You have to care. Yeah. You have, you absolutely 100% have to give a shit about what you're going to do because when you find out that to be self-employed it's going to take 70 or 80 hours a week it's 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 going to be you give up all of your hobbies all of your all of your extracurriculars and everything in order to make it work Mm -hmm. you better really care about the industry you're going to go into so you know when somebody comes to be like well it's only this much to get a franchise or it's only this much to do this that and the other whatever and you don't give a shit about it. Yeah. You are going to be just as broke and unemployed at the end of that project as you were at the start of the project. Right. You have to really care about the industry and the experience that your customers are going to have. So I guess I guess the the biggest piece of advice is you have to care. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, you have to put your customer's experience with you ahead of your success. Correct. And that is the, that is the biggest piece of advice I'm going to give anybody that wants to be self-employed. You have to care more about what your customers are experiencing and dealing with you than you can about the math, the money. It, It doesn't matter. Your customer has to view your experience as this is the best experience I've ever had. And if you can't put the hours in to giving them that, right. you are going to fail every time. So I think also on that, if you 
if you think like, well, it's not financially feasible for me to start a business or whatever, I'm going to argue with you. If there's a will, there's a way. There, 100%. It, it might not be tomorrow, but if you want to get it done, like I started the gun shop, like I started though with nothing. When and, you started the gun shop, it was a hobby in your basement. It was. But I, you wanted to get cans and all the people around you could get cans from fucked right. you over. But ultimately, <laughs> I knew it would turn into a business. Yes. But it was just, I had to baby step it the fuck up. But you were willing to put the grind yeah. in. Yeah. And, and, and that's and the deal. Is, and, and, and that's the that's the big thing. I will tell you right now, if you were ever going to look at it and go like, it's not financially feasible, it's never going to be. No, no. There's never a good time to start. If no. you're <laughs> going to start a business, every time you look at starting a business and you're going to make that decision, you are going to be 10 toes over the edge on a cliff. And you're going to be looking at it going like, if I jump. I will be able to make the parachute in time. But honestly, so, so when, if you're not in that position, it's probably not a good idea to do that. Yeah. And if you don't want to make sacrifices, right? But like, yeah. like when I went you from, have to be willing to give it when up. I went from hobby level, having another job to yeah. I'm going to quit my job. I also sold my house and moved into a shitty house yeah. to make it happen. Right. If, you sacrifices. Have sacrifices. There's always going to be yep. sacrifices. Yep. Before I started this one, you're going to sacrifice was, time with your family. You're going to sacrifice your highlight, everything. It's, I remember that conversation, that first conversation that you and I had about you starting your current business. Yeah. And my advice to you was I don't know enough about your industry to tell you if it's a good idea or not. But if this is what you're passionate about, you need to jump in fucking both feet and run with it. And that's the deal is that you have to look at it and go, I don't need a new car. I don't need, I don't, I don't need all of the stuff yeah. that you think business owners are supposed to have because those guys that you see that are self-employed or own companies or whatever that have all of that, it, you're seeing chapter 20 it and you never saw overnight. chapter one. Yeah. It didn't it, happen like, overnight. It, and no. It, no. Go back and ask him what their chapter one looked like. Yeah. And when so your chapter like, hey, one is chapter one's very close no, to chapter but seven. But not even that. Give me your <laughs> give me your cliff notes. Give, give me your cliff notes on your first five years in business. Yep. Give me give me forty five seconds of day one to your five year mark. Yeah. So How was that? It sucked, didn't it? Yeah, yeah it fucking sucked. Okay, it now sucked, five years to sacrifice ten Sacrifice and risk. Five years to ten years. How was that? And it, look, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. It's 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 not for those that want stability. It's yeah. If it's, if you're going like, oh, this will make it. No, don't go into it with that mindset. I it's gonna sound fucking nihilistic or whatever. If you're gonna go into self-employment, if you're gonna start your own company, if you're gonna go do your own thing, you need to look at it and go like, I have the balls to recover from utter failure. That's it. Yeah. Like the and day if you don't have that mindset, you're fucked. The, like, the day you start your own business. You come to the realization that you're just like, you know what? Fuck my retirement. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. My my retirement plan is to be successful. Yeah. Like my retirement plan is to work my ass off to the point where I have enough money where I don't have to work. And I don't way, know when that's going to be. Yep. And the only other thing <laughs> I will tell you is if you're going to go into self-employment, if you're going to go do your own thing, make sure the people around you are cool with you when you had fucking nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Because you could you uh, could build a business that could do really well. Jazz, the day I met you, 
you had a, 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 a photo video company. Yep. And outside of that, I don't think you were employed. Nope. I didn't have pants on. Yep. <laughs> and we're still friends and we are in entirely different financial it, it, it's a different places world. in it, our it, life yep, right nope, now than yep, we were yep. when we met. hundred <laughs> percent. And so surround yourself with the people that go, the character of this person is somebody I could be with. Whether they have everything or they have nothing. Yeah. Surround yourself with those people because those are going to be the people that, like John said, I don't understand what you're doing. I'm going to support you on it. But I think you have the balls to go for it. So do it. I think it's a great idea. Because if it crashes and burns, if you, it, it, even if you, if you burn super bright and then it just. But you don't know until you, you try it. What? And yeah. then it comes into nothing. You're going to need those people around after the fact. That right. can still go. It's okay, buddy. You're yeah. gonna, you're. Let's reboot and try around. You're going to reboot and try around too. I think. I think coming from the military, right? Especially if we didn't retire. None of us here retired no. from the military, right? So you got out of the military. Thank Christ. And it was like you failed. You were at a zero point, right? And yes. and we all recovered from it. Yep. So you have to go into business thinking Same way. if this doesn't work. I'm going to be back at zero. <laughs> yeah, that's why. But, but I've done it before. I've done it before. So yeah, I, I know how to crawl. Out, yeah. crawl I love my self-employed friends because it, it, I I love seeing them succeed. I love hearing when new milestones are hit and and everything's going great, and I love hearing it. But I love my self-employed friends because it's like, it, look, if this all burns down tomorrow, you're still going to be my friend. And yeah. when you tell me the next thing that you're going to go do to hustle and fucking make for it, I know you have it in you to do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm still going to be your number one cheerleader. That business, regardless of what it does, I don't view that as a defining factor of the person. Right. More so, I view the defining factor of that person on you had the balls to go try it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I respect the fact that you, you had it in you to go to go for it. Right. Whereas most people are like, no, I'm cool. I'm going to first and the 15th and I'm going to crank yeah. away and we'll be good. And in 25 years I'll retire and I'll live on my fixed income and we'll be great. I would rather be surrounded by the people that can tell me the stories of like, no, I tried this and it was okay. And then it didn't. And yeah. then I tried this and those guys are, it's a different animal. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, number one piece of advice Prep for the failure. Yeah. No, have confidence that you're going to do well. Don't be cocky, but trust that it's going to work because you're going to put the effort in, but prep for the failure. Yeah. Yeah. Know that it can all go away. In true military fashion, the caveat on that. <laughs> Let's walk this dog a little bit. Right. Um, <laughs> don't give yourself a plan B. Well, that works for us. But you can, but you're always going to fall back on it. Yeah. You know what I mean? If, if you, if it is, I'm going to make this work hell or high water. This is, this is the fucking path that I'm going to do. And I'm going to fucking do it to the point where I catastrophically fail. Yeah. Because until that point, you're still viable. You can still make it work. You know what I mean? But if you go into it, 
with a, a hint in the back of your mind that, oh, you know what? If this as doesn't work, I have something as, else. As soon as it gets hard, I'm going to quit. Yeah. And I'm just going to transition. Yeah. I'm going to go do this. Yeah. You failed from yeah. day one. Before you even started, you already failed. I view safety nets as just guaranteed failure. Yeah. I just had this conversation with my sister. She's yeah. like, well, I'm really scared about transitioning into this new job. And I'm like, the only reason you're scared is because you have to give up your current job. Yeah. And that's your safety net. And you've had yep. that for six years. Yeah. You give up your safety net, your life will explode. Yeah. It will go to places you never thought it would get to. But because you're holding that safety net over you, you're restricting the growth that you can have on your own. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 100%. Well, let's wrap this. Jazz, thanks for coming on, buddy. Hey, thanks for having I me. I appreciate this This was conversation, a great conversation. Sir. I don't have... Here, pour me a little of that. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I did not get to... I wanted to hear some... Uh, Funny stories, but uh, we'll have you on again. We'll yeah, for, for some funny I, I, I'll science, come back so. anytime. That'd be great. Uh, anyways, go buy Warfighter wherever you can fucking find Warfighter because <laughs> so, those are outstanding. What is your store? Uh, uh, so I own a tabletop game store called Battle Pub Games. You can find us at battlepub.com. Um, Why is it called Battle Pub? So we have a craft beer bar inside of our store uh we only carry texas made craft nice. so we have uh, about 30 beers I, on our menu right now and i might have heard that your store might be kind of large uh we're the largest place based in texas so we're about twelve thousand square feet but what games do they play yes well no be, like okay, <laughs> hypothetically i'm listening i hear okay, battle so, pub games uh, and i don't know what you do like, so, are you playing hopscotch uh, or what it, it's it's not your walmart games so we're not we're not monopoly parcheesi okay. all of those kind of things um it's a lot of strategy board game or strategy tabletop games okay. which gets into like your warhammer world uh age of sigmar 40k yep uh some of the world war ii and historical reenactments dungeons and dragons magic the gathering the, what's known as advanced board gaming. Um, so if you've ever played anything like Catan or anything like that, it's those plus there's more of that sort of stuff. And um, you serve beer. And we're a full craft beer bar. So uh, I have a 24 seat craft beer bar in my. So if you don't like games, but you like craft beer, <laughs> uh, we, <laughs> we yeah. can serve you too. Uh, we even have an exclusive beer on tap. Um, it's only not, made for you guys. It's, it's exclusively made for us. Uh I won't give you the ABV, but I will tell you an eight ounce pour of it is the equivalent to two shots of Jack Daniels. <laughs> nice. So, um, yeah, if you're in the San Antonio area or if you're into all the nerdy shit that I'm into, battlepub.com will take care of you as well. There you go. Um, and where do they find you on social media? Uh, we are at Battle Pub Games on just about every platform. Okay. Um, Battlepub.com has a hyperlink on it as well. So you can you can find everything over there. And do you want to shout out your personal or are you just gonna stick with business? No, we'll just stick with the business. My Perfect. personal it, my personal shit's boring as shit. I haven't posted shit. I was gonna say I don't think you posted in like three, four years. No, it's it's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's really bad. So yeah, Battle I just Pub got games. married and didn't post anything about it. So I did. You did. <laughs> and your wife did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My personal stuff is uh, is, is is very uh, very boring. But anyways, huge shout out and thank you for coming on the show today, uh, talking about your experience in the industry um, and the progression that you've done in the past ten yeah. years. It, like I said, I, I I absolutely love this industry. If any of you guys out there listening get the shot to work in this industry, even at the just the retailer level, do it. it it's it's it's, it's an amazing experience. It's really fun. Uh, but yeah, on that note. Um, you guys have fun. Go smoke Warfighter, and uh, we're gonna go have a cigar and a cocktail. Yeah. Oh man, I like this plan. Right. Yeah. You didn't suck. tell me that was part of the show. Oh, that's how it ends. That's what we did during the show. 
And <laughs> cheers, we, boys. We already did this, and I'm out again. Oh, sorry. Cheers. And all the listeners, we'll see you guys next Friday. <laughs>